Welcome to the Operate Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the Operate Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by Peak Planning and my friend Jeff Martin. They build high-performing teams for venture-backed growth companies and venture capital firms. They offer a facilitated leadership team session and tools to help create focus, alignment, and accountability amongst the team. Jeff and his crew are great at getting your team on board with a three-year vision, one-year plan, quarterly key results and objectives, and tools to keep you on track along the way. I have several friends that have successfully used peak planning. So if you want to learn more about it, feel free to message me and I can introduce you to Jeff. I'm super excited to have Sloan Keen with me on the podcast today. We were having a great little pre-show conversation, and uh, we'll, we'll get into some of that for sure. But before we get to hear from Sloan, let me tell you a little bit about her. She is currently the CEO of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Orange County and the Inland Empire, a role that she's been in for about three years. And prior to that, she had several other years with the organization in senior development roles for them. And just for some orientation, Big Brothers Big Sisters is really one of the biggest, highest impact nonprofits in all of this area, providing mentoring and support to thousands and thousands of young children and even as they grow into uh, high school age throughout uh, the area. Prior to that, she was in the business world, uh, an advertising executive in several prominent media companies, including the Orange County Register. And like me, she's also a Big Ten graduate. Uh, and, you know, I could proudly say that my Hoosiers beat Penn State last year in football for one of the first times in forever. Uh, Sloan, it's great to have you on the podcast today. I'm sorry I had to put that little jab in there to, to kick things off. Even the Hoosiers get lucky every once in a while. So That's you right. That's uh, right. I, I, in all honesty, thank you for being here. It's quite an honor. Absolutely. So let's start with Big Brothers, Big Sisters, and how did you initially decide and, and get involved there? That's a great question. Uh, it's actually my favorite question, so I'm glad we're starting with that. Um, you know, I, I, I say I came in through the front door. Mm. Uh, I, as you um, eloquently put, my, my background was not nonprofit. I was an executive in advertising. I did go to school back east, Penn State, and moved to New York. And from New York, I moved back to the West Coast, up to LA, and then, you know, originally came home to Orange County. And through that whole process, um, the one thing that was pretty clear was I had traveled a whole lot. I had accomplished a whole lot. Um, there's this quote that says, I was successful, but there was a part of me that felt, um, was I significant? Mm. And... Um, and so I, as luck would have it, I, I, I came back to Orange County. I met Steve Cherm. Most people know Steve Cherm. He is mm -hmm. amazing. Um, I credit him, quite frankly. So if you're listening, Steve, for my career in nonprofit, uh, he had introduced me to, um, at the time, uh, someone who was just leaving uh, UCI, who had given to me as, as my account to crack. Um, I was working for OC Metro, one of the magazines that Steve, Steve was running at the time. And I literally went in to present and she stopped me halfway through and said, I got to tell you, I just resigned. So I'm not your girl, um, but I said, all right, well, tell me where you're going. So she was leaving to become the CEO of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Mm. 
And she had just gotten her MBA at UCI, a very, very smart lady, Melissa Beck. And we became friends. And she convinced me uh, that it was right, or the time was, was right in my life to become a big sister, a volunteer for Big Brothers Big Sisters. And as you know, as, as the history would tell, uh, that was in September, October, and Steve and OC Metro became part of the OC Register in January. And it was, it was a crazy couple of months. And I became a big sister and just kind of fell in love with uh, mentorship. Mm. Um, and, and as looking back now, um, I, I could probably not has, have easily uh, pinpointed. There were a few mentors that I had in my life that now in hindsight, looking back, I credit for, for where I am today. Um, starting with my, my first grade teacher. You know, I graduated high school at 17, I was young. Mm. And uh, I, and the reason why is because I skipped kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Um, but that story didn't start out so great because, you know, I was a precocious kindergartner who got in a lot of trouble. I started teaching the class. I apparently <laughs> um, had a lot of energy. So my mom picked up her daughter and a couple red slips most often. <laughs> and uh, there was one day that the first grade teacher came to, to substitute teach probably a month or two into school. And she said, you know, I have an idea. I don't think, I don't think your daughter is a problem child. I think she's bored. I think she's smart. I think she needs to, to move on to, to first grade. And, and I'm well, you know, I'm happy to have her in my class. And, um, and that was all it took. So Miss Neff, my first grade teacher, um, really helped identify at an early age uh, that misbehavior is sometimes misdiagnosed. Sure. Um, and yeah, and so therefore my, my, my life started. Um, and, I, and I often think that there were people, positive role models, somebody who intervened and changed your life. And that's what being a mentor is. So I became a mentor and about six months in, I realized they needed help with big brothers needed help with marketing and then with fundraising. And then I found myself in Cabo at a wonderful philanthropic tournament called the Stars and Stripes Tournament. Big Brothers has been part of that for over 20 years. And I was in Cabo as a volunteer on my own dime. And I met quite a few board members, um, had a wonderful time, realized that there was a career in nonprofit, particularly in fundraising, which was where kind of my background was in sales and marketing. And I, I ended up joining the team two weeks after my experience in Cabo. And that was almost nine years ago now. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. So talk about, you know, whether it was the first sister that you mentored or other uh, impact, you know, that, that you feel like helped continue to, to remind you or validate for you that this is, you know, such an important organization, you know, what's, what's a good story that, that you'd love to share? So I I have so many. Um, So Wendy, Wendy is, is, uh, Wendy is uh, my little sister, my mentee. Um, so when we first met, Wendy, uh, very shy in, in most of our, our, our youth that we serve, quite frankly, they are, are we, we serve between the ages of, um, we actually start serving at age six. And then about five years ago, we expanded our service horizon to age 25. So I'll get into that a little bit later, but we, we stopped, we stopped matching around age 17. 
Um, so most of our youth um, are, are on the younger end and um, you know, they're shy. And so I remember that for the first six months, I remember talking to, um, once you get matched with Big Brothers, you have a professionally supported um, support specialist that's assigned uh, specifically to you. So if you, you know, Casey, you had the little brother and um, every other week, then once a month for the first year, you have somebody to check in with, right? And I remember saying, I don't know if Wendy likes me. <laughs> I don't know, am I making a difference? And, um, you know, and it was probably the most profound statement. And she said, you're showing up consistently, Sloan. Hmm. And that is the most important thing you can do for the youth that we're serving. And so this idea of showing up, right? Just, just showing up. And, um, and as a, an adult who, you know, is, is used to achieving and accomplishing. And I mean, showing up is like, <laughs> you know, the, is, is, the, is the easiest thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think oftentimes uh, people confuse, um, you know, incredible uh, impacts with, with just the ability to show up. And, you know, and I have, a, I have a great story that kind of dovetails on that. So one of our, uh, this was a couple of years ago, I was having lunch with a big brother and he's like, you know, I gotta tell you the best story. Um, it probably sums up my experience as, as mentoring for this organization. And I said, like, great, shoot, tell me. And he said, so a couple of years ago, my little brother, like six months after being matched with him was um, graduating from middle school. So he was in eighth grade. And I got this invitation to come to his graduation. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, you know, I've, I've met mom. I, I mean, I don't know her well, I don't know family. And he's like, so, okay, sure, I'll show up, right? And, you know, as most of our volunteers, um, either kind of early professionals, kind of before family, or um, we've got a, a wonderful empty nesters who are kind of post family. Mm -hmm of our two um, sweet spots in terms of, of bandwidth and time for volunteering. And so he's a young professional and he's rushing to, you know, he's five minutes late and he's like, you know, he's embarrassed. He walks in, the auditorium's filled um, and, and he looks up on stage and his little brother in the middle of the, you know, song stands up and starts waving at him. Mm. And he's like, oh, hey, you know, he's late, he's walking in. And he looks to the right and he sees mom sitting there uh, with the seat open right next to her. And, you know, the, the little brother's gesturing from the stage and, and mom's gesturing to the seat next to him. And he goes, in this moment, he's like, I have this epiphany. It's like that seat has been open for his entire life. Hmm. And he's like, and all I had to do was show up. So, you know, the power of just showing up, just being there um, is, is really remarkable. And, you know, in the wake of COVID and, and people being so disconnected, um, the, the power of showing up consistently, I think is more important, frankly, now than it has ever been before. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think, you know, somehow that got, personally got in, indoctrinated into me at a young age. Um, and I was, you know, grew up in a very, loving blessed uh house but we, we had a family business and um so part of that was showing up day after day after day it was 100 years old when i showed up in the world and so it just 
became very clear to me that, you know, part of what you do is show up. And um, I think that to your point is so critical. And I think for a lot of people, it's way easier to just write a check and sort of contribute that way, which isn't a bad thing, but I think you get um, also, I mean, that's why I'm such a big fan of your program is that as the volunteer, you often get so much more by showing up, by participating in some cases than maybe you realize um, far more than you're going to get by just, you know, writing a check and um, that, that time contribution or investment is so valuable. And part of, part of what I do, um, I, I like to teach. I have a mother who's a teacher. I have a wife who's a teacher. So it's sort of in, in me. And I think that's, that's another uh, opportunity as well. You mentioned your first grade teacher. I think that's uh, just such a, it's such a gift. And, you know, some of the classes I've taught over the years, I've told the students, I'm not the expert. I'm just the, the guide and I'll get as much out of this by guiding you on this journey as you'll get hopefully from participating in it as well. And so I, I feel like, uh, you know, the, the mentor mentee relationship is such a 360 degree one. You know, it's, it's, um, we don't want to discourage anyone from writing a check, but I do agree yeah. with you. Yes. I mean, I, I, one of the things that originally attracted me to big brothers, big sisters, when I came back to orange County was, you know, there, you know, there's equal parts, a lot of things that, that you need in life. Right. And so meeting new people and, and going to events and, um, you know, God, after uh, COVID, nobody puts heels on anymore, but, um, you know, that, that was fun. That was exciting, you know, but I, I also appreciated the fact that I was able to, um, to volunteer myself and to see mm-hmm. some sort of personal, um, personal interaction. So, yes. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned, you know, now more than ever, the need to, to show up. So there'd been just amazing work being done by your organization and many others around the, the country at reducing the number, I think the term's called opportunity youth. And these are, you know, people in that sort of late teens, early twenties that are not in school or not working and, and really contributing. But the, you know, great work had been reducing these numbers across the country in the last number of years. And obviously COVID I think has unwound at least temporarily a lot of that work. So can you talk a little bit more about that and and what you feel like the key needs are for your organizations and and these risk communities yeah no absolutely so it's kind of nice uh the 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 script has flipped a bit so the the old jargon the old vernacular was you know we forever was at risk youth um and so now the the on the positive on the 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 script that we are flipping now is we're calling them um, at promise or opportunity. Mm. And I think what's great about just changing the vocabulary is words matter, you know? Mm. So um, oftentimes kids get labeled, um, you know, back to even my own experience. Um, so the idea of at promise or opportunity, I think really captures mm. <laughs> the situation a bit more. Um, you know, most people, certainly at this organization and, and a mantra I believe in is that every child was born with potential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's our unique opportunity to help ignite it and, and, and support it and, and watch it flourish and grow. But, you know, we certainly don't create it. Um, and, and that is, um, that is something that, you know, we've believed in for over a century. 
a big brothers, big sisters, but the last, I would say 18 months has really, um, has really taken, uh, you know, and you're referring to the measure of America report that came out um, kind of early on into COVID that is entitled a decade undone. Hmm. So based on even the preliminary research, which by the way, probably now is, I don't know if that's been, um, we got to circle back and see if that's, that's been updated. But at that point, the research um, shows us or showed, you know, was showing us at the time that um, 10 years of progress in some of the most marginalized neighborhoods um, in terms of um, post 18 success, um, which is, you know, college persistency, it's uh, living wage jobs, you know, mm -hmm. self-sufficiency um, has been unwound. Really, we took a major, major step back. And we, we see that in our, own, um, in our own youth. I mean, you know, anecdotally, most of our high school students uh, with, schools, with schools being shut down for truly, um, you know, this entire school year. And then, you know, months of the school year before that, um, you know, most of our families don't have the luxury to stay home. Like working at home is not an option. So um, when all of a sudden school shut down, um, childcare was an issue, it was a problem. So we'll just start there before everyone wants to throw a computer into the mix and hey, believe me, that helps. But, you know, initially what we saw with our high school students is they became the primary care person in their family. Mm -hmm. um, in addition to navigating their own school um, and their own issues and, and concerns and fears, right? Um, they now became the, the primary care person in the family. And then, you know, um, you know, through no, no fault of the schools, it was a, it was the, just a reaction to, to being home. You know, most of our neighborhoods that we're talking about don't have fiber pulled under the household. So even if you have several devices per child, uh, there's not enough bandwidth or connectivity to um, successfully connect, certainly via Zoom. Um, you know, uh, successfully. And so what we found was a lot of our, um, a lot of our, our, our youth um, ranging from elementary through high school were just really struggling with connecting, um, with connecting to school, with connecting to friends. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of high school students uh, ended up getting um, part-time jobs just to kind of help contribute financially. Uh, so there was just an element of growing up overnight um, for kind of this, these at, at promise opportunities that um, were already um, kind of overwhelmed with, with life in, in many ways. Um, so as, as we, to, to go backwards, to go forwards, so, you know, one of the, the things we've hung on to as an organization is all the research shows that the impact of one positive role model in a child's life in a young adult's life that's going through this can make all the difference. Uh, it's not where you start, it's where you end, right? And so um, we really, we were really leaning on our mentors to kind of lean in on every possible way. Um, you know, they were TikTok dance instructors and ad hoc science teachers, you know, making, uh, you know, making glue and slime with household appliances or, you know, household ingredients. Um, sometimes they were educational coaches, you know, sometimes they were the, um, you know, helping the teachers and the schools um, sort of reinforce and apply some of the um, education that, that they were, you know, um, courageously trying to, um, trying to do virtually, right? 
Um, and sometimes our mentors, honestly, delivered critical needs. Sometimes they delivered food to the doorsteps and, and, and during some really tough times, the shelter in place times, they were <laughs> ding dong ditching and <laughs> running back to their car. And, um, you know, I have another story kind of in that vein, you know, I had a big sister who, who called me because, you know, we, we have, you know, we have a lot of standards in our program and, um, you know, we're there to be there to support them, um, to support our youth. Um, but financially, uh, you know, that's a sort of a different situation. You know, we don't want that to be a stipulation for volunteerism. So, so we have some, you know, standards on what you can and can't do. And, mm -hmm. and, and this big sister called me, you know, it was right in the middle. It was probably maybe November when the cases started to spike again. And, um, and she said, I did something and I just wanted to tell you. And I said, okay, what did you do? And she said, so I delivered a, a bag of groceries to my little sister last week. And she called me to thank me. And she said, you know, gosh, you brought me an entire gallon of milk. And the big sister said, yeah, yeah, because you've got a big family. She goes, well, we're going to have to drink it all in one day. That's going to be really difficult. And she goes, well, don't drink it all in one day. Like that's just, you know, you know, don't get sick. And, and the little sister said, no, you don't understand. We don't have a refrigerator. Hmm. So big sister drove to Walmart, you know, ordered in her car. It was delivered via like the back of her truck, you know? And she's like, I dropped off a college fridge. I just did it and I don't care. <laughs> and I said, all right, you know, strange times, strange rules. Mm. So, uh, so, you know, so that just shows the scope and the magnitude of how our mentors have kind of leaned in over the course of, of the last 18 months. Um, and there's no roadmap, mm. you know, it's just whatever, whatever needs arise, our mentors lean in. And, and I, and that is what I see as moving forward. When people ask me, you know, where do we go from here? Mm -hmm. and I'm like, you know, we connect as humans and we take it one step at a time and we are resilient um, and we will heal, you know, but we can't do it alone for sure. So on that note, how, how do you describe the, the needs that you think your organization and particularly the, the little brothers, little sisters and their families will have so that we don't take 10 more years to recover? Well, I think that there are some really, um, really easy and quick ways as a community that we can lean in. You know, most of our youth, anyone, forget opportunity youth or any youth, you can't be what you can't see. So where we found some of our great partnerships is through some of our corporate mentorship and through our career exploratory programs. So one of the, I think the, the fastest ways to recovery, quite frankly, is, is, is having more, um, more companies, more corporations, more, um, more startups, quite frankly. I mean, COVID has sparked the entrepreneur in you, right? It's, it's, it's really shown you that what you thought you couldn't do, maybe you can. Mm -hmm. you know, and I really think that, you know, and on a positive note, there's going to be a lot of um, innovation coming out of COVID, mm -hmm. um, quite simply because you had to. And <laughs> um, so what one of the programs that I'm really proud of that we really need to expand and grow in the, over the next few years is the exploratory career programs. So starting in freshman and sophomore year, we have high school students that we take to corporate campuses or, um, and it doesn't have to be a big corporation. I mean, it could be, um, it could be anything, but it's an opportunity to get some of these 
at Promise Youth onto uh, a professional campus. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it provides them with corporate mentors, uh, mentors who uh, have an opportunity to not only um, to not only bring them into the career path that they've chosen, but then also help them talk and, and start to frame what post 18 looks like for them. Um, the majority of our kids, quite frankly, 35% of our kids go to a four-year university. Um, the remainder are, um, are, are looking more for career technical opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean education is off the table. And quite frankly, education is the only way out. Um, but it looks different for all of our, our, all of our youth. Um, and so we, as, as a mentorship organization, um, need to focus on mentorship. So what we do and what we need to do more in the next couple of years is bring in partners that help us explore our clients, that help, you know, that help us, uh, that help us give more opportunities to the youth that we're serving. Um, and the unique, I guess, uh, success factor for us is that the youth that get, that get this opportunity have a built-in mentor to help them work through it and to help them keep consistently uh, moving forward in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on how, I mean, you know, I have a lot of entrepreneurs in my audience. Any thoughts on how technology can help play a role in improving that connectivity or, or even scalability potentially? Yeah, so, well, a lot of my colleagues who have kind of leaned into COVID and, and realized that, you know, it is happening. So how do you embrace it? And, and how do you kind of harness the energy or the innovation, I will say. Um, so technology has played a huge role. I mean, we went virtual overnight, like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that, you know, we're working our way back into in-person, um, frankly, now, if, if you are interested in being a volunteer, um, we, are, we are back to in-person programming. Um, but we probably won't completely leave the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as a lot of people have recognized there is, I think, a, a place for both. Um, you know, the, the, Zoom, the Zoom world has created a lot of opportunity. I mean, you and I even spoke, it's, it's removed geographic barriers. Um, you know, it's, um, it's convenient. Um, so if you, if you amplify your in-person experiences with, with virtual experiences as well, it creates more, I think, communication touch points. Mm-hmm. And I think for us, um, you know, we will continue to kind of harness this, this level of technology. Um, but as a career, uh, you know, here in Orange County, I mean, there are so many opportunities within the world of technology. And particularly for for our young adults who have now, as we joked, you know, what did they learn over COVID? Well, they learned how to maneuver technology in a way we never knew before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, do, I do think that there are some opportunities for career exploration in those fields, um, you know, between computer programming to IT, to, to you, know, um, you know, to video game production. I mean, there are so many um, very well-paying jobs and I do think um, they are ripe for, for our young adults and exposing them at an earlier age is the only way we start to build that future workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're spot on. So as you talk about that, that you know, kind of career exploration and education, whether it's you know, helping influence our primary education or it's even supplemental 
it, we, we've got such an amazing group of nonprofit leaders here in Orange County. And I've had the pleasure of, of meeting and having several of them on the podcast as well. And I'm sure many of them are your friends also. How, how do you, because it's, it's, it, there's a, several groups that here that are all, you know, also orienting in and around this. How, how do you collaborate around some of these topics? So this is also, in my opinion, one of the um, positive effects of COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, you know, one of the, and I'm sure this isn't a nonprofit um, reality, I think it's a, it's a reality to most businesses, but there's a tendency to get verticalized, I think, when you're, you know, you got your head down and you're just doing what you do. And, um, and so the world stopping all at one time gave everybody, a, I think, a chance to pause. And, and realize that, you know, we really are better together. I mean, mm-hmm. we all do uniquely different things. And um, if we do those uniquely different things together, mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, that whole adage that, you know, a splash um, and a few splashes makes a tidal wave, right? So, so I have, in fact, I am overwhelmed with uh, collaborative meetings and there's great organizations, um, you know, 1OC has done a great job in, in bringing together um, nonprofit leaders and community leaders and, and doing that almost on a weekly basis. Um, you know, I, I, I share a couple of things, but um, particularly in Anaheim, there's um, the, the ACT, organization, which has for the last few years been um, strictly a nonprofit collaborative. And um, now that it's moved to the Anaheim Community Foundation, we're moving it to um, a multi-sector collaborative conversation. So we've got education, civic leaders, um, the Orange County Business Council, you know, obviously the nonprofit sector and so on and so forth. And and so I think that there's just been a lot of opportunity to to figure out how we can work together. Mm-hmm. And, and I, not that that wasn't a spirit of conversation before COVID, but, you know, with, with sort of the restrictions of, of being remote um, and everyone challenged with connect connectivity, quite frankly, you know, connecting mm-hmm. to clients. Um, I've really seen that as, as a, as a, as a spark. And as an add-on to that, you're exactly right. I have some incredibly smart, talented CEO friends in the world of nonprofit. I mean, I have, um, you know, I don't know if you've had Ramin Bashi from UCP, but, um, you know, Ramin is a, is a, she's a PhD, she's a medical doctor, mm-hmm. an MD, excuse me. Um, Reagan Phillips, she's the CEO of CASA, you know, she's, she's an attorney. Um, you know, my background is, is, is all in, you know, marketing and sales. And, and so I think you're going to start to see, there's just a really great, um, sense of, of dynamic backgrounds in nonprofit mm-hmm. leadership now. And, and that really will serve our communities as we are tasked with, quite frankly, one of the most important ROIs out there, right? The social ROI. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, as you think about, I mean, you mentioned, um, ACT. And maybe that becomes a model for you know the broader Orange County community. As you think about ways to cross pollinate, you mentioned you know doing corporate more corporate uh, exposure, more corporate mentorship. I mean, there's clearly this pressure on companies too to really rethink their purpose, their mission. Do they have a a, a 
obligation to more constituents than just their shareholders, which I think you and I would both argue they do. Uh, and so how do you, how do you think about inspiring the, the for-profit world to be more sustainable, purposeful in how they think about things, which should create more collaboration opportunities? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I, I feel like we're on our way, uh, you know, again, a, a COVID after, uh, after shock, if you will, is, you know, the idea of, of engagement and connection doesn't, doesn't extend exclusively to our more, um, you know, opportunity um, communities. I mean, truly, as, as a leader in any company right now, your number one job is to connect with your, with your, your team, you know, and, and one of the, one of the interesting dynamics uh, that we've experienced, and I've, I've spoken to you know, a lot of my board members who are in the for-profit sector and my colleagues in the nonprofit sector is there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, of employment changing right now. There's a lot of, of seats changing. And, and, and one of the, you know, I think the best uh, explanations was, was from one of my board members who, who called it teaming. He said, you know, there's a lack of, of team environment. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to have accountability or con connection to a mission, a, a company, a, a belief system. You know, when we're so remote, when mm -hmm. we haven't seen each other, and and that's just it's a reality, right? So you know, so what if there was a way for a turnkey program that you know could help employers um, connect directly with their with their staff mm -hmm. and and create volunteer opportunities, create create a way to kind of connect um, and engage at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, that's a space that we, we operate in and, and something we can quite frankly offer, um, whether it's just doing some virtual lunch and learns now. So talking about, you know, being a mentor, if that's, if it's the right time in your life to do that. Um, and beyond that is, is, is even hosting a program, mm -hmm. you know, 20 to 40, you know, team members at a time get an opportunity to one-on-one -on -one mentor a high school student. You know, they get to see what the impact of one person can make, you know, the sum total of their career success. How do you take that now and inspire somebody, uh, a young adult to then follow in your footsteps? I mean, that's powerful. Sure. So, so, so I'm seeing an increasing interest. It's, it, you know, I spend a lot of time with the early career professionals uh, myself, because I, I'm fascinated by this younger generation and, and the values that they have, which I'm inspired by every day. But I've seen this, this interest in what I'll call service learning, which I think creates these huge opportunities where a company through, whether it's volunteerism or partnership with organizations like yours can help equip their teams with new life or other skills. So as you think about, you know, mentors at, at Big Brothers Big Sisters, what kinds of life or other types of skills do you feel like you see them developing that are almost like service learning yeah. opportunities? Well, so because um, I, I find it fascinating, actually, it's a human experiment. So, you know, because our, you know, I sort of described earlier that, um, typically the bandwidth for mentoring, at least in our program on the one-to-one -one capacity, which what kind of, it's what differentiates us in the world of mentoring. Um, there's a lot of fantastic group mentoring, but we really focus on that one-to-one -one component. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, so again, the, the success factors we found over a hundred years of doing this is, is sort of before you have kids and then once you're an empty nester. So, um, so what we found in the, the, the pre-kid scenario is, um, you know, it, there are all those things that being a parent teaches you, uh, patience, um, you know, understanding, you know, oftentimes, you know, we, we hear a lot, I don't think this, this, this young mentee has ever said, thank you. And then we kind of laugh, we're like, you don't have kids, right? <laughs> My kid never thanked me for serving them breakfast in the morning, you know, but, but it's just, it's a, it's an experience. It's a life experience that, um, that teaches you to, to look beyond yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you'll indulge me, this is not a, a rendition or an accusation on, on our current society, but, you know, we have really become very focused on what we need to be to be successful mm-hmm. and sometimes to our detriment. And so what I found most is, is being a volunteer pre-family really, really lets you take a step back sometimes and look at things with a more holistic perspective. Because um, when you're in the middle of it, um, everything seems like a big deal. But sometimes when you step back with perspective, uh, it helps you sort of reorganize your own life um, in the way that you approach issues and problems, whether it's professionally or personally. Um, and so we've, we've seen a lot of growth within our volunteers. Um, also, I've seen a lot of uh, personal life growth within our volunteers. A lot of people end up getting married a few years into being a volunteer. And, and you know, I wonder if that's, they've learned things about themselves. Sure. Um, and then post-family, you know, we've got a lot of, which is an important thing for me to, to mention, we have a really cool program called Big Couples. So it, it's very popular post-family, but it, it doesn't have to be as long as you have the bandwidth together. But as a, you know, as a, as a very, um, you know, as a, as a long-term couple, um, we will match you with a little boy, which is really important because outside of that particular situation, we match only same sex to same sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's a little gratuitous plug. Uh, women are three times more likely to volunteer so I have almost zero young girls waiting to be mentored and I have hundreds of little boys. Mm. So if, if I can reach out to a few good men, Carrie, please. Um, but I, I really think that post eight or the, the, the empty nesters, if you will, are, um, it's a way to come back together after you've had kids. That's sure. really cool and unique. Um, you get a chance to be more of like a grandparent and, mm-hmm. and really look at parenting in a different way. And I think it's, it's as uniquely interesting as before. Yeah, super, super cool. So I mentioned it when I introduced you and you, you've referenced it a couple of times, you know, you had a history in the business world as many of your, your other colleagues uh, in the nonprofit leadership here also did. How, how did you feel like that helped you really uh, as you took the reins of Big Brothers Big Sisters? Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, I've, I've always had a fascination with leadership. And I say that in, in a way that I probably didn't know quite frankly what I was getting into until I, until I said yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then of course I had no way of anticipating COVID, right? Which nobody did. Um, but I, I, I've, I've always had some really great bosses and mentors um, in my own professional life that have helped me um, probably mold the way that I lead. Um, and, and I had had an opportunity to make a lot of mistakes. So I always say, everyone asks me for advice. And I said, you know, um, make every mistake once, right? Mm -hmm. Second time, it's your fault. First time you're just, you know, you're, you're just pushing the envelope, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so, so I think it's the sum total of my experience in the professional environment, uh, having experienced a lot of different leader, leadership, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and then having had the, the for-profit background helps, helps me better frame to not only my own team, but to external investors that um, what we do isn't so different than what you do. Mm -hmm. um, the only difference is that uh, in, instead of, you know, a, a tangible return on investment um, with, with products or services or whatnot, um, ours is seen in the future generation. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of important lessons there because you can't really do that well. I certainly can't recruit volunteers without having a strong uh, marketing presence and brand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can, we can't efficiently support kids and, and run a, a, a P&L and HR issues. And, you know, we, we, we deal with all the things that everyone deals with um, and a board. Um, so I say we're very close to a for-profit um, entity that, that, has a, that has a board of, of directors as well. Um, so but I, I think all of that kind of adds to, to being a successful nonprofit CEO. Mm -hmm. Great, great perspective. So I, I, you know, we, we talked about your background in the media and advertising industry. I mean, what, as I think about that, it, it really is the core of storytelling. And, you know, I, I've been fairly critical in my time here. And I've been in Orange County for a long time that I don't think we do a great job here of storytelling. And we have a lot of incredibly capable people in this community, multi-generations. You, you, you know, I like how you frame the pre-kids and uh, empty nest sort of as, as different life stages. But stories are what get people to engage, what get people inspired to act. So how do we do a better job here in your mind of storytelling? You know, what maybe it's, new media or you know we we don't have a great media foundation here um any thoughts on on things you feel like we as a community could do better here in orange county yes that, yeah yeah that's a really good point i mean having you're right having a, a background in in media i remember working for the orange county register um the the first the what was it the first challenge was always um no, Orange County may be within the LA DMA, but we are a unique county in and of itself, right? So, um, so I do understand the unique challenges in, in, in media and, um, and certainly communication. Um, yeah, if you read the LA media, you really don't get the yeah. full picture of Orange County, right? And I think that's, yeah, we, we sort of have this, this unique challenge. How do we do it better? That's, that's a really, it's a really good, you know, it's, I, I think it's an interesting challenge even to, you know, I don't know how interactive your audience is, but 
you know, I, I will tell you um, a couple of things. One is um, the world is, you know, this is the opinion of Sloan only, mm -hmm. but you're asking me, so I'll tell you, you know, the, the world has become very soundbite oriented because mm -hmm. of social media. So I will say in my career in, in um, I would call it communication entertainment, um, you know, I graduated college in 98. Um, I moved to New York in 98. That was when the dot coms came in with all the dot monies and then the dot bombs. I don't know if any of those checks were ever totally cashed, but you know, there was, you know, the, from that point on uh, the, the world of, um, the world of media has shifted and changed so significantly, right? And so some of the challenges, you know, my own team have, you know, when we're using social media, when we're trying to communicate storytelling is it's very difficult to do in a soundbite society. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to choose your words very, very carefully. Everything's hashtag now. I mean, it's not even full sentences, right? Like you just, I mean, so we've gone from a narrative to literally a three word hashtag, no space, right? So, so I think there are some inherent challenges in that, but there's probably like in all things, inherent opportunities, you know, um, how do we do better micro videos? I mean, how do we, um, how do we do better kind of targeting audiences more and is, is my thing. Cause I think if you're interested, you're fascinated, right? So it's, I don't, I don't, I think the, 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 the traditional way of servicing, um, Kind of the the J and J model of just looking for eyeballs, right? Is is probably um, is probably gone. You know, mm -hmm. now like target marketing, it's niche marketing. It's figuring out who your market is, and then um, those people are more willing to spend more time with you. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's. I wish I had the silver bullet answer for you, but but I think it's really a it's an interesting question to pose. It is. I, and I think you know, I don't purport to have the answer. My, my instinct tells me we have to go back to local and we have to go, you know, sort of to the how do we activate and engage almost as many people as possible to have their, their uh, chance to participate, right? Whether that is uh, to be a, a creator themselves or um, you know, feel like they, they get to co-create as, as part of it. So they have a sense of ownership, but it's, it is a really, it's an interesting challenge because I think it's easy to, uh, probably easier here than most places to disengage because you can, you can sort of just, you know, retreat to your, uh, your little small bubble in this bigger bubble. But, you know, you know, you just, you just sparked a thought. Um, so I, I recently, so we recently did a um, sort of a, I wouldn't call it that, it's sort of a, an event, a pre-recorded event on kind of owning your own voice for mm -hmm. um, just for our high school students and, mm -hmm. and leadership academy and the, the youth that are are mentoring um, for us right now. And, you know, and it just struck me that, you know, it, it might start um, at the heart of, of people understanding the value of storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it might have been a little bit read out, quite frankly, with, with you know, so, so much sound bites and so much, you know, quick, quick shots and quick, quick media and quick hashtags that, you know, just even understanding your own story is so valuable. And, and so that could be maybe, you know, another possible area to, to, to really teach our youth to value their own story. That's right. Oh. 
I like it. I like it. Well, son, we're coming up on time. This has been a super fun and enlightening conversation. I thank you so much for that. Yeah, we are, as you mentioned, you're you're starting to do some events back in person. What what are you most excited about as we start to sort of get back together more easily now? I am excited to start seeing my team every day. Mm. I mean, there's something that is, you know, it's convenient and, you know, everyone's been in their PJs Zooming, but, you know, I'm going to put some clothes back on. Um, <laughs> from a, you know, from a, you know, I would say like a societal perspective, I, I am just, I am thrilled to be part of what I think is the solution to, um, to disconnection, mm. you know? to start we've had a lot of mentors who have been waiting for for the opportunity to come back in person and um and quite frankly we have a lot of families who are like we 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 need in-person contact like we we need our children to be connected personally um and so just the idea of of kind of moving back into kind of this new normal um is really exciting to me because it's never ever been more important Okay, last question. Younger professionals, pre-kids, you know, the, the group that we, we have talked about, you know, if, if they're trying to get more involved in our community, they feel that pull to get more connected in, what, what piece of advice would you have for a, a young professional here today? Well, I say, you know, you, you can't fall off the floor. That's a Sloanism, you know? Mm -hmm. If you're feeling disconnected, if you're feeling the urge to personally make a difference, if you want to see your community thrive, if you want to be part of building the next work workforce of Orange County, Riverside, or San Bernardino, um, and you want to personally be part of that, um, then look us up. See what we have to offer. Come kick our tires, I say. You know, it's a, it's a mutual relationship, uh, but it starts with interest. Um, and I have, if you're willing to let me wax philosophical for a second, there's a Gandhi quote that I, I leave almost all of my recruitment uh, meetings with. And it's the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Hmm. And for Great. me, most of the young professionals right now are really trying to find themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the best, best path to success. So powerful. Well, Sloan, thank you so much for joining me and, and sharing so much perspective on the importance of uh, mentoring youth and the values that we get from doing that. You know, your, your perspective and wisdom is, is super valuable. And thank you also for all the leadership and amazing contributions you're making to the communities here in Orange County and the Inland Empire. Well, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.